the voice of reason, the voice of alarm, the voice of stats, the voice of scouts, the voice of Kool-Aid, the voice of dismay, the voice of Davo. Well, that's a nice way to close out an otherwise maddening week in weekend, right? The Royals get two of three in Minnesota. As it's Davo, glad you're along for another edition of Your Dish. On Clubhouse Conversation, yeah, the Royals go 3-3 and this week. They get 2-3 of to begin September, which is good. They're playing 666 ball in the month of September. And as we'll detail here in a bit on your dish, we'll break down the next series with Detroit. We'll break down what the Royals must go to get one of those two wild card spots and make the postseason. Hint, it's about 666 ball, but the Royals off to a good start for this month after a 5-4 to win over the Twins today. Thanks to some extra base heroics from Melky Cabrera, a two-run shot off of Irvin Santana, Lorenzo Kane, a two-run triple, and then, of course, good pitching from Ian Kennedy, Scott Alexander, Peter Moylan, Mike Miner, and Brandon Maurer gets it done for the win. So the Royals, after their 2-3 of three over Minnesota this weekend, move to 67-68 and 68 on the season as they continue to try to become the third team of all time to begin the month of September with a losing record and make the playoffs. They're three and a half games now out of the second wild card with 27 games to go. So the math is still possible. Uh, not real likely, not real logical, but it definitely is possible just because of how the schedule sets up. And we'll talk about that coming up here in a bit. But yeah, the Royals come off of a terribly disappointing week. I don't want to talk too much about the whole Danny Duffy situation, but we last came to you oh, about 5 p.m. last Sunday, just as we are this Sunday. And it was about two hours from now last Sunday where Danny Duffy unfortunately was cited for suspicion of DUI at a Burger King in Overland Park. And, of course, Dayton Moore and the Royals had a Tuesday press conference when it came out and, and talked about it. And we have yet to hear exactly what discipline will be done by the Royals of Duffy. But the way it sounds, he's not likely to pitch again this year anyways. He threw, I believe it was 60 feet yesterday. He needs to get that up to 120 feet Maybe if the Royals are really in this thing, he comes back in 10 or 15 days and makes a start, but I wouldn't hold my breath on that. We'll see what happens. I can certainly use a healthy Danny Duffy, but most importantly, getting him right mentally and making sure he's okay. So all we'll say here, I don't want to speculate. I don't want to talk too much about matters that don't involve on the field and matters that, frankly, I don't know the whole story about. So, you know, unlike most people, I'm I'm not going to compare things to other players and I'm not going to be harsh. I'm going to say we all make mistakes in life. We all have battles and demons and we'll hope that Danny Duffy is okay and then he'll get through this and this is a nice wake-up call that will enable him to grow as a person and help others. And hopefully we'll see him back on the field at some point later this month. That's kind of my quick take on Danny Duffy. But that's kind of how the week began bad for the Royals, you know, about a week ago. And then, of course, the disappointing Two of three at the hands of Tampa Bay, including another miserable outing from Ian Kennedy. That was a a very disappointing series to lose two of three at home to Tampa Bay. The Royals this month, and well, not this month, but in the last month, have lost a number of series against teams they're chasing, whether it be Cleveland, whether it be Baltimore, whether it be Tampa Bay, on and on. They continue to struggle against these teams. However, it was nice to see them get two out of three this weekend. So let's talk about the weekend. With the Twins. We'll start with the good. There was two good and one awful. The good Friday night style. The Royals come out with a 7-6 win. How about Moose getting his 36th home run and tying Steve Balboni? who didn't get his 36th until October. But Moose did it here the first day of September. And I'm sure he'll get that record in Detroit over the next three days. Especially with some of the uh, rather subpar pitching he'll be saying in the, in the Motor City. Brandon Moss adds a big two-run home run. The deciding, as it would be 
blast on Friday night. Jason Hamill pitched just well enough. And Kelvin Herrera, Scott Alexander. We we saw that against the Rockies, where Herrera came in and couldn't command the ball. And that one, he lost a lot of velo. It was down to 91, 90. And this one, he was still throwing 96, 97, his last couple of pitches there. So the velo was still there. Was he really actually hurt? I don't know. I think there probably is some tightness and some minor stuff going on in there. But in fairness to him, had Merrifield not made the error on Friday night, it would have been a 1-2-3 inning, and we never would have talked about this. We never would have seen Scott Alexander coming in, inheriting a 3-0 count and inheriting a mess, but getting out of it for the win on Friday night. We never would have seen that had Merrifield made the play. So Herrera looked good the first few batters, even into the fourth batter, but I don't know. Is he actually hurt? Probably not hurt enough where he has to go on the DL, but since it's September and you have unlimited players, you don't need to DL anybody unless they're out for the year. At that point, you can put them on the 60 and bring somebody else up and on the 40. Somebody that's not in the 40 can be placed in the 40 and called up, but otherwise you don't DL anybody in September because it's pointless. So I don't think it's bad enough for him to be DL'd, probably even if it was August, but certainly not in September. I don't know how hard he is and how much of it's mental, but certainly something's going on with Herrera, a guy that I continue to say is a candidate to be non-tendered this winter. If you think he's hurt, and if you're going into next year and not expecting to compete, as many don't think the Royals will, do you really want to lock up $8, $9, 10 $11 million on a closer for a team that's not going anywhere? It'd be his last year, and if he does break down, you're not going to be able to flip him for anything. You'd save a lot of money next year, and perhaps even non-tendering him would allow you to keep somebody else, such as Jason Vargas, for example, somebody that you might be able to get on a cheap two-year deal. So we'll see what happens with Herrera. I hope he's okay. And uh, and again, let's not overlook that there was an error that would have enabled him to get out of that with a 1-2-3 inning. But it's a big sign, too, that he didn't pitch tonight, or this afternoon, excuse me, on Sunday. You had Brandon Maurer come in after Herrera getting yesterday off. So that's two days in a row off, so certainly something is up with him. And we'll hope for the best with Kelvin Herrera, who hasn't exactly been great this year anyways. I don't think it's quite the loss that many people think it is. You've still got a guy like Maurer that can pitch the ninth. Alexander in a pinch. Moylan in a pinch. Could, you know, could go through there. I mean, none of these guys are classic closers except for Maurer with the stuff and having a little pedigree doing it this year for San Diego. I get that. There aren't too many guys on this roster other than Herrera who kind of fit the closer mold besides Herrera and Maurer. But you go with what you have, and Maurer did a nice job stepping in today. For the Royals. Now today, the best thing I saw was Ian Kennedy coming back and bouncing back. He deserved better than he got. Five and two-thirds innings, should have been six, had Lorenzo Cain snared a line drive that went right into his glove in center field. He gets six innings, but it didn't work out that way. He got five and two-thirds, given up two earned runs, four runs total. Another one of them came on a broken bat hit. So really, Kennedy pitched well today. They talked about changing his Playing on the ball, throwing downhill, changing arm angles, coming a little taller, coming downward. And it worked. I mean, really, six innings, one or two runs, depending on how you look at it. Kind of surprising he was able to go that far and only give up two runs, considering he only struck out one guy. That's pretty tough to do when you only strike out one and you have a tendency to give up home runs. But give him credit, just one home run allowed today, just one walk to go along with the one strikeout. And Kennedy... Stepped up big with a nice a nice outing today after an absolutely miserable nine ERA in the month of August. Even though he had like a three and a half in the month of July, he starts off with a nice September. So hopefully he's like the San Francisco Giants of months, you know? <laughs> what are the, the odd months he wins and the even he doesn't or whatever it is, vice versa. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, Kennedy had a nice bounce back today. Surprisingly kind of porous defense, like I mentioned. The Kane ball should have been caught. Alex Gordon should not have been called for an error. I, I didn't check if that got turned into a hit yet. It should. That should have been a leadoff double to begin the ninth inning. You can't call that an error. The guy ran a country mile into the sun, was going up against the fence. 
I, I don't think that's an error. That's an extremely tough play. That is not a routine play. If, that, if that's a routine play, then I guess I know nothing about baseball. But, yeah, that should have been an error, although Gordon should have made the catch. Let, let's be honest. As a gold glover and a guy that's getting paid, uh, well, at this point to play defense, you got to make that play. He didn't, but, you know, that's that. Now, yesterday the defense was awful also. You had Kane out there with the horrible play. You had Merrifield Friday night, a horrible play. Eski, a bad play last night. Gordo overthrew a cutoff guy last night. 17-0 was the final. Let's go over the bad from yesterday. I was extremely frustrated going into yesterday. I didn't say much about it because, well, let's backtrack a second. So the Royals come into this weekend realistically needing a sweep, right? Two out of three keeps them technically in it as they're three and a half games back with about four other teams right there with them and a couple above them. So you got like a six-man crew fighting for two spots realistically. So you really probably had to sweep this series to put yourself right back in it. The Royals were a game and a half back right now. You'd have to say they were right in it. Being three and a half back, they're still in it, but they're kind of on the outside looking in at this point. You literally got to play 66 ball the rest of the month. So with that said, you had an off day on Thursday. The Royals could have this weekend thrown out Hamill, Kennedy, and Junis and skipped the Onelki-Garcia slash Andres Machado, slash Eric Skoglund, slash Trevor Cahill spot in the rotation with Danny Duffy being out. The Royals could have skipped that spot and would not have needed it again until mid-next week, right? Which would have been a good thing. Then you would have only had to use that spot four more times in the month of September. So that would have gotten you one game without having to go to that, you know, complete Band-Aid spot. The Royals decided not to due to what they thought was some arm fatigue from Ian Kennedy. Also, I'm sure due to the fact that Jason Vargas has thrown many more innings than he has the last couple of years with the Tommy John, and also that Jake Junis is pitching for the first time in his career into the month of September. So there are a few reasons that do make sense why the Royals didn't skip the fifth starter. I can understand. I'm not I'm not going to say it's completely mind-blowingly stupid that they threw out Onucky Garcia. I won't use the word mind-blowingly stupid, but I will say it was stupid. I don't care with all that said. You're playing for right now. It, you know, if you end up losing two out of three or getting swept this weekend, then maybe then from then on, you know, there's still plenty of time in this month where you can cut back and skip Jason Vargas one start or skip Ian Kennedy one start or shut down Jake Junis with seven or ten games left if you do fall out of it. But when you're coming into a weekend series, four and a half back and really a must sweep realistically with 27 games to go now, 30 coming into the weekend, you can't punt a game. And Onelki Garcia had a 5.04 ERA in Omaha in 20 games, including 10 starts. 5.04 in the Pacific Coast League. How is that possibly going to end well against a team that's red hot swinging the bats at the major league level that is on their way to the playoffs? You're throwing out a guy with a 5.04 ERA in 20 games at AAA, not to mention he got completely torched against Cleveland last weekend. I thought he would have been DFA'd at that point. You can't throw out Onelki Garcia against the Twins. You don't skip the rotation spot there. or Sorry, you do skip the rotation spot. You, you, you don't go five there is what I meant to say. You do skip the rotation spot there, and you save that fifth spot in the rotation for that last game in Detroit, if you must. Or even coming home in Kansas City. The, po- the point is you can't do it in that situation in Minnesota in a must-sweep series. You're running out of time. Like I said, if you end up losing... Well, then you can just shut guys down later. And if you end up sweeping, well, figure it out later. Right now, you've got to take it as each game is the last game. You almost have to take all these last 27 as you're in the wild card game because you've got to win about 18 of these last 27 games if you're going to make the playoffs. 
So throwing Onoki Garcia out there was bad enough with a 5.04 ERA. But then they brought up Andres Machado and made a, um, created a spot for him on the 40, which makes sense. They wanted to keep him for next year. They were going to have to have him on the 40 because the Rule 5, he could have been plucked by somebody else. So they were going to do it anyways, and they called him up. I guess I get it. That's fine. I'm not going to complain about that. But, but I mean, you can't have – the game's 4 nothing in the first inning. Is that the best you have to back him up with? I mean, you're playing a must-win game against Kyle Gibson, who's got an ERA north of five, is the third best or third worst home ERA in the league. You're only down four nothing, and you just bring in Machado to make his major league debut in a four nothing game. His stats had never pitched above A ball coming into the year. Between A ball, Double A, and Triple A, he had a four and a half ERA, four point five four. So the Royals. In a must-win game, in a must-sweep series, throw out a guy with a 5.04 ERA at AAA when they could have skipped that spot in the rotation. Then they back him up when it's 4 nothing, when it's looking bad, but it's certainly not over. Then they back it up with a Machado who had a 4.5 ERA. And, and that includes high A ball, double A ball, in addition to triple A ball. It's just mind-blowing when you could have skipped that spot in the rotation. And again, by skipping that spot in the rotation, yes, you're going to still have to. These guys are still going to have to pitch probably four more spots in that ro- in that rotation spot. I get that. But you're hoping by the end of it, maybe the last two of the season, maybe you have Danny Duffy back for two of the last four, you know, and then you've got Trevor Cahill coming back off the DL. Sam Gaviglio, who they picked up and put in the forty, who had some major league time with the Mariners, albeit not great, but certainly still a better option than Onoki Garcia. A guy who at least had a mid-fours ERA doesn't give up a home run about every three and a half innings. But you had Gaviglia that you could have ready by the next time that spot came up. Maybe Trevor Cahill by the next time the spot came up. I just don't understand that. Maybe Duffy the last couple. I just don't get it. I mean, I, I from their point of view, I get why they did it because Ian Kennedy having the dead arm and they wanted to skip him, but they didn't. And then, you know, like we talked about the innings limit on Junis and Vargas, the Tommy John. But you're running out of time, guys. I mean, you've got... You just anyway. That's that's my thing on that. I thought it was horrible. I thought it sent a horrible message to the core. If I'm them and I'm sitting out there and for the third time in a week I'm losing twelve nothing before I can even blink, don't those guys at some point start saying, "Man, we're done. This is over." Like, what are they doing? Why is Dayton throwing these guys out there? I thought we we're going for the playoffs one more time. What's what's happening here? Well, I guess I'll start focusing on myself. Well, next year I'll be. You know, it's just like almost human nature. At that point, you're almost like, "Well, all right, I got to start worrying about my offensive stats and worried about myself." That's that's what I worry about. And maybe I'm just on a rant that is mostly unfounded. I don't think so. I think the majority of people would agree with most of what I'm saying. I think there's not that much logic that says you shouldn't have skipped there. And I'll leave it at that. So with all that said, can the Royals still get in the playoffs? Yes. But they're going to have to go either 18-9 and or 17-10. and Look at it that way. You can probably lose 10 more games this year. That'll get you to 84, and that's like, 50-50. To me, if you get to 85 wins, you're going to get the second wild card. Because I think even the first wild card is probably going to be 87 wins. So I think 85 wins is probably the second wild card. The Royals can get there by going 18-9. and nine. So they literally have to continue what they did this weekend. They have to play 666 ball the entire month. They've got to finish 18-9 and nine to get there. Can they do it? It's unlikely, but... If they were going to do it, the reason would be because they have 12 games left combined with the White Sox and Tigers. You got to go nine and three in those 12, right? If you go nine and three in those 12, then you only have to finish nine and six, <laughs> which is 600 ball instead of 666. 
So nine and three against those guys, and then you finish nine and six against the Twins, the Diamondbacks, the Yankees, and the Indians, which is possible. Nine and six is possible against those teams. So the Royals, though, are going to have to get, if they're going to do it, they're going to have to win nine of 12 against the White Sox and Tigers. And this week is it. The Royals have a huge week ahead of them. Seven games this week, beginning with three in Detroit and four at home against the Twins, who they are chasing. The Royals must get three out of four against the Twins. If things were as they were today and the Royals took three out of four, they'd be a game and a half back still. You split with them, you're still three and a half back. And by then you've got like, what, 20 games left? And you don't play them again. It's their last time to play the Twins. They will have to win three out of four games against the Twins. That's where we start for this week. If you go into that series two and a half or three, let's just say, let's just hypothetically say the Royals sweep the Tigers. I'm going to preview that here in about two minutes. But let's say they sweep the Tigers. They probably come into the next series back two and a half as the Twins go to Tampa Bay. That probably put them back two and a half of the Twins going into the weekend. If you win three out of four against the Twins, then you're only a half game back. Then you're very much in it if you're only a half game back after you're done playing them. But if you're two and a half, three and a half, four and a half back of the Twins with 20 games to go and you're done playing them, it's going to get pretty tough to catch them because they also play the Tigers and White Sox a ton. So the good news is while the Royals have these teams, so do the Twins. So the Twins now, that, that's, that, that's a must-win series. You have to win three out of four, period, this weekend. That's where we start with the week. The Royals must go 6-1 and one this week because they must sweep Detroit. And I hate calling I hate saying you have to have a six or one week, but the math proves it. You know, you still got a lot of games against Cleveland and the Yankees and the Diamondbacks. That's eight games against teams that are playoff teams. So if you're gonna play six sixty six ball, you're gonna have to smoke the team right in front of you, the twins, and smoke the Patsies in the Tigers and the White Sox, and then play about six hundred ball, five eighty ball against the really good teams. That's the way you're gonna make the playoffs, right? Are we, are we on the same page there? So that's why I say, can the Royals still make it? Yeah, but going 6-1 and one this week is going to be pretty tough. However, they began with the Tigers, who were awful. They're 58-78, and 78 and they're worse than that. Let me go over the Tigers. You know by now, it's been a long time ago, J.D. Martinez no longer in the lineup. Victor Martinez, God rest his soul, has irregular heartbeat and, and some heart cardiovascular Issues. We wish him the best. That's that's nothing to mess with. Prayers sent to him. But Victor's out for the series. So we've got no Victor, no J.D. Martinez, no Miguel Cabrera, who's serving a, uh, a suspension. So there's three of the top four guys gone. Oh, but there's more. Four of the top five are gone because Justin Upton's no longer in Detroit. All you really have left is Ian Kinsler that semi-scares you in this lineup. He's a Royals killer. But outside of Ian Kinsler, Mikey Matuk, no. Alex Romine, or Kevin Romine, whichever Romine it is. I forget which the hell one is it. No. Are you scared of James McCann? No. Nick Castellanos, a little bit. So Castellanos and Kinsler, legit hitters. Other than that, though, I mean, you go through the field there. There's just not a lot to be scared of in the Detroit lineup. They're missing a lot of guys, not to mention Verlander's gone, and the Royals don't see Fulmer either in this series. The Royals have to sweep this series. You're missing four of the top five Tigers' bats. The Tigers basically have two good major league hitters, 
two average major league hitters and a bunch of AAA guys. So if you can just contain Castellanos and Kinsler, your pitching should have no trouble going through this Detroit lineup. So 58 and 78 is misleading because the, the, the hitters are gone and there's no Verlander and no Fulmer in this series. With that said, Jake Junis and making his major league debut, right-hander Artie Lewecki. Doesn't he sound like he should be on the Howard Stern show? Isn't there a guy named Artie on the Howard Stern show? Artie Lewecki making his big league debut against Jake Junis, who we know has been very surprisingly good for the Royals. Now, Lewicki, mostly double-A this year, has 141 innings between double-A Erie and triple-A Toledo, is 14-4 and with a 3-3-8 ERA in those games. So he's had a nice year, 123 Ks and 141. That's pretty good for the minor leagues. Doesn't mean he'll come up and strike a lot of guys out, but he's probably a guy that'll go out there and get you four or five Ks per game at the major league level once he gets up here and gets going. It's a 1.18 whip, so does throw strikes. This is a guy the Royals should hit. He throws strikes, the Royals should hit him. I know the big joke is they never hit anybody that makes their major league debut or they see for the first time, but they've got to do it, and I think they will. I think the Royals take care of business tomorrow with Junis going against Lewicki. Royals win game one. Game two, Jason Vargas, 14-9 with a 3.87, takes on Anibal Sanchez, 3-3 with a 6.95. The Royals roughed up Sanchez big time earlier in the year. I suspect they'll do so again in this one. The Royals win game two. Game three, I'm a little less sure about. Jason Hamill is 7-10 with a 4-8-0. Matthew Boyd seems to have the Royals number in recent times. 5-8 with a 5-9-2. It shut them down, if I'm not mistaken, twice this year now. So the lefty Boyd, kind of a crafty lefty. The Royals kind of struggle against those guys, against Hamill. That's the toss-up game to me. Gun to my head, I think the Royals win 2 out of 3 in this series. But they need to win 3. 2 out of 3 would be a letdown. Uh, I mean, I know I said they have to go 666, so technically if they went 2 out of 3 every series, it would get the job done. But if you're doing 2 out of 3 every series, you've got to assume you're going to win a four-game series against Cleveland. You're going to have to win the 2 out of 3 against the Diamondbacks. You're going to have to win 3 out of 4 against the Twins. So if, if you're not going to sweep the Tigers, you're going to have to play even better against the other team. So realistically, they've got to sweep. You've got to go 9-3 and three against the White Sox and Tigers, two AAA teams at this point. And the White Sox are actually maybe a little more scary than the Tigers because they've got Lucas Giolito, the former Nationals top prospect who struck out 10 today against the Rays and has been really impressive the last couple of starts out there. Last one was against the Tigers, I believe. So you've got guys like that going in there. Ronaldo Lopez is a good young pitcher. So, I mean, the White Sox scare me a little bit more because they've, they've got some power bats in there. I know Abreu is, I believe, out right now, but you've got Avisil Garcia's having a great year. Matt Davidson's looking a lot better. You go up and down that lineup, Kevin Smith's a nice young catcher. The White Sox are maybe a little more scarier at this point than the Tigers, which I never thought I'd say two months ago. But uh, to me, the Royals have got to win 9 of 12. So get the sweep here. I don't think they will. I think they'll get two. Two keeps them probably still three and a half back. Think if the Royals win two out of three, they're three and a half out of the wild card. If they win all three, they're two and a half out. That's a problem when you have this many teams in front of you. So if the Royals can sweep, let's say they come home two and a half out, you win three out of four, you're a game and a half out. No, wait a minute. That's not right. You'd be a half game out. So, yeah, there you go. Royals go 6-1 and one this week. I, I'll make a prediction. 6-1 and will get them a half game out of the wild card a week from today. And at that point, we can start talking again. Although I won't talk to you next Sunday because I'll be coming back from Las Vegas. So I will not be with you for about a week and a half, two weeks. But I will be back with you again at some point. Not this week, but the week after. Probably in about the next... 10 to 13 games with another dish here on Clubhouse Conversation. I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. You can all subscribe to us like I always say. Have these downloaded directly into your iTunes, clubhouseconversation.com. Just click the little icon from the home screen or the contact us 
screen or tab. You can also follow us on Twitter at Royals Clubhouse, Clubhouse Conversation on Facebook. And as always, make sure you check out plenty of old interviews that you can download and take with you on the go while you work out or drive, or you can stream them through the website here as well, clubhouseconversation.com. Click on current players to see and listen to dozens of guys who are currently in the major leagues with the Royals and many in the upper minors. And then make sure you click on former Royals to hear over a hundred former Royals anywhere from 45 minute to three hour chats with guys. And also a quick rest in peace to Paul Shaw, who passed away at the age of 74 forever. The trivia answer to who was the third baseman before George Brett, the last one. And it was Paul Shaw as he passed away from cancer in Hawaii. Um, and we're sad about that to hear about that. That happened. Uh, early on Saturday morning. So, we, you know, rest in peace to Paul Shaw. I'm a, a little disappointed I never got to talk to him, actually, because he was a guy I had on my list and I wanted to contact this winner. Um, but certainly a guy that gave a lot to the Royals and to the KC community as a chiropractor later on. So a rest in peace and thoughts and prayers to him, uh, his family, and everybody, everybody touched by that. So we'll talk to you again here soon on Clubhouse Conversation. Go Royals. Let's hope they can pull out a 6-1 this week.